0: A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive through Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Welcome to Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor. I'm Pam Yankee. This program's all about watershed projects happening all around the Upper Midwest, the people that are coming together for conservation. This time around, we travel to central Wisconsin and the Mill Creek Watershed. This story is not so much about the great conservation work that's getting done, but how the collaboration came together between farmers and landowners around the Pentonwell Castle Rock waterways. Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor, brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag. We'll catch up with T.J. Cardis in just moments for a spring update from him. Now let's pivot and turn our attention to the Mill Creek Watershed. It's located in Portage and Wood Counties in central Wisconsin. It covers about 32,548 acres, starts at the city of Marshfield and flows east-southeasterly toward Stevens Point for about 35 miles before it joins the Wisconsin River. Now this watershed is primarily agricultural, but it also features homeowners around the Pentwell Castle Rock Waterways that are very invested in water quality. You know, sometimes you don't see the opportunity for conservation until you attend a meeting. Rick Jordson is one of those folks. Rick Jordson didn't have any previous experience in conservation projects or knowing how to get involved with conservation projects until he saw a flyer. That flyer ultimately led to Rick getting involved with the Petonwell and Castle Rock stewards called Packers, Lakeshore owners, that uh, were holding meetings and trying to generate scientific information about things like the Total Maximum Daily Load, TMDL, that would be measuring phosphorus in their waterways. Suddenly, Rick was surprised. He was picking up the phone, calling politicians and asking them to pay attention to what was happening.
1: Never had I called a politician to come to bring any interest on in the topic. I wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was inspiring. Let's give it a try. Mm-hmm. And success makes breed success. You know Here we had seven politicians that showed. we went out on the water, and we didn't know if this was going to fly or not, but we just told our story you know, we like this place, this is a wonderful second largest lake in the state, you know, is there anything that can be done, and if we can be a part of it, we'd like to, kind of thing, and so anyway, that led to some money that came out of the state budget, and that money funded the science project, uh, TMDL, which took place for, I think it, Took like eight or nine years for the DNR to complete that TMDL. And now we have all that science mm-hmm. that's really driving the whole thing. It's all based on science. Right. And the EPA has stamped their approval on this project. And then we beat the farmer <laughs> in 2016. Right. And, uh, and we, well, prior to that, annually there was an event called the Wisconsin River Symposium. For a five-year period, during the major part of the TMDL, the DNR would come to this symposium, and, and who was attending was a lot of the general public who were interested in the river, and the DNR reported, "This is what we're learning with our TMDL. This is the science that we're gathering so far." That went on every year, mm-hmm. but in that audience, Pam, there was only a couple of farmers out of 150 people, mm-hmm. and so then we decided, you know, let's next time, let's refocus on who we want as our audience we brought a farm bureau member on our planning committee and don said how many farmers do you want there we'll get them there
0: mm-hmm. and wow
1: and we got we had room for 65 farmers and don brought 65 farmers
0: in. wow that's nice it was
1: unbelievable
0: were you were you nervous about that at all rick
1: very comfortable it felt it felt just a natural thing to do. It's like, we're ready. Let's have this conversation that we've been told will never happen. (laughs) And no, we weren't nervous. We were excited. This was a real opportunity. And it was at that event that we, we, we brought a keynote speaker in from Arkansas, from NRCS, Ray Archuleta, who spoke to the group on, you know, he was a, I farmed all my life. My grandpa farmed, my great grandpa farmed. And he says, we're learning there's a better way of farming, guys. And these farmers in the audience were sitting on the edge of their seats. Tell us more, tell us more kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. This is really exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. And Ray was just, he talked their language, you know. Right. And it just, it was just right on. It It was, it was a bullseye. Yeah, and uh, and you know, here again, all I want to do is sail my boat, and I'm thinking, this is kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, I made a presentation on the the, the this, this water issue that we have. I had lots of slides that I had accumulated. And in those slides, I talked about the fun of Lake Petenwell and Castle Rock. I talked about family families camping and picnicking and fishing and water skiing and all that stuff. And then I said, but something gets in the way of all this. And about the middle of the summer, it gets really ugly out here. And I showed some really ugly pictures. And they were uh, pretty... Uh, uh, nobody pointed fingers at us as you guys are troublemakers. The farmers were listening, and they thought, "Yeah." I mean, I don't know what they thought. Right. So then, so then, a farmer gets up from the Yahara River Watershed Project, and he gives a presentation of what they're doing regarding the Madison Lakes. Yahara Pride, I think, is what they called themselves. Correct. And, and he said, this was kind of like, wow, this is what started to turn the dial in my mind. He said, we are not the problem. We are the solution. We need to just change how we're going about it. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep these nutrients on our land. And we'll keep it out of the water. But we need to make some major changes. So then John Aaron gets up. I didn't know John. I heard about him. John Aaron gets up and he talks about some of the conservation practices that he's doing on his farm. And uh, they were pretty. He was pretty proud of what he was doing, all on his own. And uh, but he didn't know how we were going to take this. And and at, afterwards, he came up to me, and this this was the turning point right here, Pam. John came up to me and he says, hi, I'm John Aaron. And I said, well, I'm Rick George, and we shook hands. He says, you bring those lake people up to my farm, and I'll bring the farmers down to the lake. (laughs) And that was it.
0: And that's how it began. So now let's roll forward then, Rick, and tell me as we approach summer 2021, how has that relationship blossomed?
1: Oh, it's just been
0: phenomenal.
1: I'll tell you, very, very. I was asked by another watershed group, the Friends of Mill Creek, if I could provide a home on Lake Petenwell for John and his wife to spend a week at. We feel John needs to have a treat, he's working too hard. <laughs> So I thought to myself, Pam, how in the world am I going to find a home on Piqua? Well, at our next monthly meeting, there was about 30 people in attendance. One man I did not even know, first time I met him, and I said to the group, I've been asked to see if we can locate a home for John Aaron and his family. The weekend, to have a weekend the stranger raised his hand and he says, you can have my home. Wow. So this stranger, who was a Packer member, uh, we were called Pat and, Pe- Packers, Pete and well and Castle Rock Stewards, and uh, and he and his wife had us over to their house for dinner. And had me and Jane and John Aaron and his wife, Melissa. And John Aaron and his wife brought their two kids. We had this dinner together. We walked into this home that none of us had been to and were greeted by Linda and Mike. Uh, uh, This is their place. And Linda had baked a cake and set it on the counter as a birthday cake. One candle in it with Nora's name on it, John's daughter.
0: Really? Yep.
1: Now if that didn't pull people together, I don't know what will.
0: Wow. Yeah. I don't know how
1: you I never did learn the story how she learned of his her birthday. Wow.
0: That's so
1: it. so after dinner Mike puts his key ring on the counter and he says, John, there it is. You pick out the week and they had a calendar and they worked it out. John and Melissa spent the week at the lake.
0: Mm, that's really something. Yeah. That's a great example, though, of of, uh, how you guys have worked to kind of break down those barriers, those stereotypes. What kinds of things are you looking forward to now, Rick, since you've got, like, as they say, the wheels have been greased. Now you guys are uh, well familiar with one another and uh, share the same kinds of goals. What are you looking forward to about this?
1: Well, so what happens then, you see, is we went up to John's farm, on one of his field days, bunch of packers, and we participated in the day. We rode around the farm. and John pointed out all this stuff he was doing, and with a lot of pride of you know this this is what we're doing, guys. And uh, and there was a lot of people there. It wasn't just us packers. I mean, it was it was a public event. And uh, John then. Did what he said he'd do. I'll bring the farmers down to the lake now. What time once we come? So the, later that August, that, that was in June. So in August, twenty-five farmers come to the lake, and we took them out on pontoon boats, mm-hmm. and uh, a partnership was just really forming. Well, and uh, I, I, when we went out on the boats, we went probably four or five miles down down the shoreline. And I pointed out, and I kept referring to it every now and then. I think I referred to it three times. Notice the shoreline of the lake. We have a 100-foot buffer between the lawns and the water edge. And they noticed that. And then we got down to a place where there was no buffer, and, of course, that stood right out. Well, after the event... I get a call. John had probably four or five farmers in his van, and John's calling from his van. He says, hey, the farmers are just saying that if the lake people can have a buffer along their shoreline, we ought to be able to have a buffer along the stream.
0: All right, Rick, let's push pause right there. That's Rick Georgeson. He's a member and former president of the Pentonwell and Castle Rock Stewards, known as Packers. So they've invited the farmers in to share their knowledge, but that doesn't necessarily mean the partnership's going to move forward hackers had been pretty instrumental in getting political support for research to establish total maximum daily load in that area and limit phosphorus but that doesn't mean that farmers were real thrilled about that stand by we'll catch up with one of the farmers that was in that meeting first we want to visit with our friends from Saddle Butte ag they are bringing you in part fishers and farmers neighbor to neighbor catching up with our friend tj Cardis, who is busy at this time of the year making sure that everybody's got all the seed that that they need. Hey, TJ, I have to ask you, given the strong commodity prices we're seeing for corn and soybeans, has that impacted any of the commitment that you're hearing from landowners and farmers on their cover crops?
2: You know, that's a great point, Pam. Um, we've had that conversation several times. So besides delivering seed and loading trucks, it's the, the phone calls of what should I do? And, and that has been a big conversation point this year. I mean, we got some pretty good commodity prices. Should I get the field cultivator back out and work up that rye or that triticale or that mix I got out there? And after we start talking through it about, you know, can you find field cultivator sweeps? How expensive are they? Do you want to add all that extra fuel to it? When we get through all that, it kind of goes back to that whole sense of, you know, maybe we should just stick to the plan, stick to what we're doing, and and not make those big changes because it's not ready for that kind of stuff
0: Well, and the intangibles also of having cover crops versus, you know, back into that corn-bean rotation. I mean, that's what drew a lot of folks to cover crops, just getting the soil healthy again.
2: Right. You know, and so that, and we've had that conversation. Well, my soil's pretty healthy now. I could do this for a couple years again and then go back to it. And I tell everybody, why do you want to take a step backwards? Let's keep going forwards with what we're doing here. So, yeah, we get that all the time. You know, cash, commodity prices, Really, you know, that's that big red flag right there is, oh, boy, I can make a little more money. But if they, if they look at their economics, and most of the guys are really looking at economics with this, they realize they're more profitable by sticking to the reduced tillage, strip-till cover crops, no-till programs. They're more profitable at the end of the day, and that's what you want. You want to be profitable.
0: Now, TJ, you were mentioning to me that uh, from time to time, uh, Saddle Butte will be hosting different uh, virtual seminars to help work through these kinds of conversations. Uh, how can growers kind of get connected with that information, and is it archived if they miss it the first time around?
2: So we started with a local SWC on Moore County, and we did our first 101 session uh two weeks ago and they've actually got it up i think it's up on our website now on the saddle butte website so you can google biotiller 360 forage or google saddle butte ag and you'll find our website i believe mark has put it on there mark has put all the stuff on from from these conversations that you and i have pam so we got the first round done now we're working on the second round and of course the the problem always when we do these virtual things is well now all of a sudden this guy's doing this and this guy's doing this and we're busy hauling seed and spring came on real fast this year so we're going to keep doing more of them. The beauty is we're starting to get out and do some live events too. So we're starting to get out in front of people, and we're actually doing some small meetings. So if if you need to, if you need some conversation or some you know some questions asked, don't be afraid to grab my phone number and give me a call. Look it up on the website, or I can give it to you when we get done here. But you know we're we're trying to work through this to get as many people staying with the program, answering the questions. You know, it, part of it is just making you feel good that you are on the right path. Mm-hmm. So we do have some of those archived. We're going to keep doing more of them.
0: Excellent. Yeah, TJ Curtis along with us from Saddle Butte Ag. And again, as always, we remind you, if you want to reach out to him directly, he's a great resource. His area code 507-339-1742 number will get you connected. Again, that's 507 507- 339-1742, or go to saddlebutte.com, and you'll be able to find uh, more contact information there. Hey, TJ, quick uh, poll from you on what you're hearing from growers farther west, uh, South Dakota, even parts of North Dakota, Montana. You talk about things like rye. They are very, very dry. What are they telling you?
2: So we, we're in contact with our suppliers out there, very steady every you know, three, four times a week, even up in Canada, the western plains of Canada are extremely dry. And and the conversation goes, if it stays dry, we'll leave the rye. If it if it gets wet, we get some moisture, you know, they got eleven, twelve dollar beans up the combines too, and there they'll be guys that'll flex over and put some beans in. There's actually a bean contract offered up in Canada this year, which normally they don't have, but they'd have this year. And there's some pulse oil seed crops they would look at. So, you know, rye could start to get tighter um, I know some local guys in my area that had 40, 50 acres of rye in for their own seed production, just going to do it for themselves. They wanted to experiment, do the cocktail mix. Four or five of them called me and said, you know, it's $12 beans off the combine for new crop or close to it. He said, it's not going to stay. So I think that's something we got to start thinking about. Mm-hmm. You start talking to your seed suppliers and say, should I get some of this stuff locked in? Because I have so many loads locked in already as a company, but we're always looking for more out there to buy, but we get it sold on the other end, and, and it it, I don't think it will run out, Pam. Right. There's always some rye to find, but the price is going to increase. And then it goes back to the economics of well, if I got to spend that much on rye, do I still want to stay in the program? So there becomes the next conversation that we'll have start having this summer with growers.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we've got a lot of things to factor in, that's for sure. The weather, uh, as you said, commodity prices, and overall thinking about the health of soils. TJ Curtis, along with us from Saddle Butte Ag, one of our partners, bringing you fishers and farmers neighbor to neighbor. I want to remind you again, saddlebutte.com, or like TJ said, just Google biotill or 360 forage. And here's his phone number again if you want to talk directly with TJ Curtis. Code five zero seven three three nine seventeen forty two. And now let's pivot back to that story. So Packers, the group that is the Pentwell and and Castle Rock Stewards, have invited in farmers to listen to some of the research that they've had on total maximum daily load and projects moving forward. But just because you present the data doesn't mean that uh, the farmers are necessarily going to be all in. One of the farmers that was in that audience and instrumental in bringing farmers together to form the Farmers of Mill Creek is John Aaron, Farmer and owner of Aaron Agronomics. So, John, tell me about that first exchange where farmers left their farms to take a ride around the waterways. What did you learn and what was that conversation like?
3: We just, you know, had some great conversations and a bunch of the guys, it kind of sparked our, you know, ambition to to want to do a little more with some buffers, uh, you know, with some cover crops, some interseeding things. So, we told them, I said, if you guys are. You know, doing things on your end, um, we'll do some more stuff on our end. And it's, um, you know, when you're you're trying to be a team and all the members are at play, uh, you're going to be successful. But if, you know, if if we're doing stuff and they aren't doing things on their end, it's not going to work too well. So it's been um, everybody's been chipping in at this point.
0: Is that kind of one of the keys that you think makes this a success, John? You've been around a lot of farm organizations, associations, organizations, whatever. Um, Is that one of the reasons why you think it works?
3: Well, you know, you look at it this way. uh, I I grew up with the understanding of state your intentions and follow through. So you go to a lot of meetings and everybody got high hopes and they talk about all these these big uh, pie-in-the-sky things that they're going to do. And then they don't do that stuff. Um, Our group is just a lot more grounded. Uh, We look at reality. Like, here's what we can try, small scale, but here's what we can do and and still be successful farming with with what we have at hand. Um, And we keep working. I know a lot of the guys, a a few of them have picked up some no-till drills and stuff like that. A few other farms have have gone or they've... um, you know, had the opportunity to hire out the co-op to do some broadcasting of uh, some cover crops and things. So we took a very realistic approach. And um, I know talking with other groups that they were, you know, we're going to be doing this and all our fields are going to be interseeded. And we looked at it and said, you know, I don't think it's realistic at this point right now for us to do uh, interseeding into corn across the entire fields. But what I do think is is realistic for us to try and just do some headlands of interseeding and, or possibly go, you know, fields that are more of a mono slope heading down toward the creek. If we could take the headland closest to the creek and try to do interseeding there. And there's, you know, there's so much stuff you can do with that, but it, it gives you an opportunity to look at, um, you know, really look at what's going on with some pest management and other stuff. And it's been working good. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, I hate to overstate. It. It's a common sense approach, but I just I watch all these groups. I I hope the best for them, but you know, we're not going to shoot for something bigger than we can achieve, and that's it's kept us successful.
0: So there you have it: connection, camaraderie, and relationships. That turned out to be the trifecta for success between the farmers of Mill Creek and John Aaron, who you just heard, and also the members of the Pentonwell and Castle Rock stewards. Packers, who are led in part by the efforts of Rick Gregerson. Now, together, those two groups, coming from very different perspectives, are moving forward on conservation projects that ultimately benefit both. Remember the Mill Creek Watershed in Portage and Wood Counties of Wisconsin, covering more than 32,000 acres that directly connect to the Wisconsin rivers. And that'll do it for this edition of Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor. My thanks again to Rick Georgeson, who is one of the folks involved with the Pentonwell and Castle Rock Stewards, along with John Aaron, who is one of the farmers that helped to pull together Farmers of Mill Creek, an excellent example of conversation shared with neighbors, all kinds of knowledge, experience, and skills coming together in a science-based, first-hand knowledge situation benefiting the land and also paying attention to social and economic systems. You can hear more stories just like this online at fishersandfarmers.org. Additional resources available there to get your own conservation movement happening in your community. Our thanks also to TJ Curtis from Saddle Butte Ag. They help bring Fishers and Farmers neighbor to neighbor to you. For all of our guests and the staff at Fishers and Farmers, thank you for listening.